I want to welcome you to Hope Church. I'm so glad that you joined us this morning and you decided to wait to go get set up to watch the football game. I know some of you are going to watch football today. And during that game, there's probably going to be a moment, or at least in some of the games today, when a coach calls a timeout right before a kicker's about to uh, kick a field goal. You guys have seen it happen. The goal is to distract him, right? It's to have him think about what he's about to do so much that by the time he gets up there, that he's going to screw up, right? That's the idea. That's why they do it. It happens in volleyball, when a server is on a run. It happens in baseball. I, I used to play catcher my freshman year in high school. And you guys know the rumor with catchers is that they talk a lot. Um, well, I was one of those catchers, you can imagine. You talk to them and you try to distract the batter from being able to focus in on their responsibility. Now, you guys know that, that, a, that pitchers commonly today or some pitchers can pitch up to 100 miles per hour today. I want you to think about this for a second. If a pitch is coming in at 100 miles per hour, a person has a reaction time of about four hundredths of a millisecond. That's, a, a takes a, that's about as much time as it takes for you and I to blink, right? And they say that the decision has to be made in about a fourth of that if they are going to swing and to be able to make contact with the ball. Now, it sounds like a lot of work. And, and I'll just tell you, you cannot have any distractions in that moment. I, I love this story that J.M. Boyce tells about Yogi Berra, the well-known catcher from the New York, um, New York Yankees, and Hank Aaron, um, who, was, um, who was a well-known hitter for the Milwaukee Braves. You might, might remember this from the World Series that um, there was this incredible moment when, um, when Yogi Berra is talking to um, the batter, and, and as he's gearing up for it, right before he goes, to, um, he goes up to bat, he says, hey, hey, your bat's upside down. The logo's upside down. And he doesn't say anything, just stays at the plate. Next pitch comes in, he crushes it into um, over the fence and into left field and he walks around the bases and he comes back around and as he comes back to the pitcher or the catcher, he says, I didn't come here to read. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I want to remind you this morning as we turn our hearts back to the prodigal church series that the Apostle Paul is going to challenge you and I to consider what we're here for, to consider what our priorities are, what, what it means for us to be focused. And, and th this is going to be a hard passage of Scripture for us to understand. It is, I'm going to admit, one of the more unusual passages of Scripture, partially because it, in the context, if you take it out of its context, it could be abused and misunderstood. It could look like he's saying marriage doesn't matter, that, that uh, singleness is the only way. It could be misunderstood stood to see him discouraging the gift of marriage. But, but remember, the text out of context is pretext for us to get it to say whatever we want it to say, right? And so I want to remind you, we put it back in its context, and the Apostle Paul is going to say marriage is a good thing. He's going to say singleness is a good thing. You know, a majority of, of individuals in this room are single. Uh, that's really common today. And he's going to give an argument for singleness that's really awesome, but what the Apostle Paul's really going to communicate to us this morning is that, is that all of that stuff, if you could think about everything that you feel like matters in your life, whether it's your paycheck, it's your job, whether it's your family, whether it's like all of those things, as important as they are, they pale in comparison to our understanding of what God wants to do in our life. So, so Paul's going to kind of say the rest is just details. He's going to encourage us to focus in on the Lord and to prioritize that in such a way. And you know what's great? If you stick with me this morning, 
I think one of the things that you're going to see is he's going to challenge us. And even in our understanding of the things that have the potential for making us anxious, the things that have the potential of bringing great discouragement in our life. I, I think that you could say comfortably that we live in a society that's discontent. And what I mean by that is the quest for something more is always in front of us. We said this before, single people want to be married. Married people want to be single, right? That there's, there's a recognition that if I just get the right job, just get the right circumstance, then I will be somehow fulfilled. And the challenge is, is that for, all, for many people in the world that we live in, they find themselves unsatisfied in that process. I love the book, Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis. And I love this quote, the way he puts it. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't that great? Like, I, I, we, weren't, we weren't designed to be uh, fulfilled completely. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? He said, you're going to have trouble. That he reminded us of the fact that there's going to be a challenge in our lives. The Apostle Paul is going to encourage us today as he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, believers that are there that were confused. Remember, some of them theologically were trying to argue that it doesn't matter how you live your life. You can live just like the world. They also, like we do, lived in a sex-saturated society. And so everywhere you looked, there was, there were misunderstanding of God's gift and his provision for human sexuality. On the other side, there are people, and we think Paul was responding to some of them in this portion of the letter, that were arguing that as Christians, we should ignore things like marriage and, and we should understand something so spiritually that there was this kind of legalism that was creeping in to say, the only way a person can honor God is to be a single person in his full, and, and the Apostle Paul is going to challenge this or to live like a single person. That He's going to challenge both of these with an understanding of what it means to see God as the only solution for that hole that's inside of each one of us. Some of you have heard the quote attributed to Blaise Pascal that um, talks about a, a God-shaped vacuum. Actually, in the actual quote, it is incredible, Diaz. I want you to hear the words of Blaise Pascal. It's profound. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? Now, he's talking about the internal desire for us to find something more. That, that craving, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? That, that quest for something that would satisfy. So he says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print in the trace. There's just a residue of it. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there to help he, what he cannot find in those that are. That's a profound. He says, though none can help since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Isn't that a great truth? What he's saying there is there's, there's, a, there's a, an emptiness inside of us that if we try to satisfy it with anything but the Lord. Now, now let's get our list of things that are valuable to us, our friends, our family, our jobs, our relationships, that all of those, Paul, Paul's not going to say they're useless. And that's really important for us to, miss, to make sure that we catch in the text. He's going to say to us that they pale 
in comparison to what God wants to do in our lives. That we can find contentment. Remember, Paul called it a secret, but we can find it. We can find contentment in a distracted world. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we continue on in our series with the title Prodigal Church. Our desire is to see what God has to speak to us as a church family and to be spurred on to the kind of faith that he aspires for each one of us to have. So here, what Paul is saying is that these people are doing, um, a, uh, they're doing something where they're trading a good thing and making it an ultimate thing, whether it's their spouse, friends, loved ones. Uh, hey, let's, let's be honest. That, that relationships change. Let's be honest. Loved ones. I, I sat with a friend this, um, this last week watching their, their father um, beginning the process of transitioning to the next life, to eternity. And, and you watch this and we recognize that as hard as we want to hold on to them, that we're not in control of, like God says, our lives are like a vapor, that, um, that we, we wrestle with that. We don't want them to leave, but people do graduate. They move on, and we, we recognize the sting of death at times in our life. Praise the Lord. We, death has a different sting for those of us who have hope. But we watch this. Hey, let's also be honest. With our stuff, we all live in Northeast Ohio, uh, and we know that our stuff is ultimately going to rust, right? Uh, can I get an amen on that, right? Like that that we know that even those things that are valuable to us, that they have the, uh, the ability, even if they're good, to uh, leave us wanting more, something different. We want more love, more satisfaction, more stuff. And the first point this morning that we're going to see show up in verse 25 is this, the constant pursuit, which I think is, was, is a disease that we have in our culture, the constant pursuit of something more is really deceptive. You could even say that it's dangerous. It's a, it's a quest that is unsatisfiable, that people are constantly searching for something more. Verse 25 of chapter 7, Paul says this, Now concerning the betrothed, those who are preparing for marriage, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What he's saying here is, this is truthful. I'm going to give you good information, but the Lord Jesus didn't teach specifically on this. He says this in verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Let me challenge you with this phrase, this present distress. From the beginning of time, from the earliest church, there has always been distress. One of my favorite mentors always challenged me in this area. And I think it's a temptation for us to feel like the way it is, that it's so messed up in the world that's around us, that it's worse than it's always been. We, some of us have said that, haven't we? Like it's getting so bad. But I want to remind you when we studied um, the book of Acts that we saw some of the persecution, some of the realities of the early people were, were, were stripped from their home. There were horrible challenges that happened. And so we recognize that there's going to be challenges in our world. Uh, some would guess that what Paul's referring to here was maybe that there was a um, there was a drought that had happened in Corinth at this time that we know historically, or maybe this was a precursor to the emperor Nero that was going to do horrible things uh, to the Christian church. A horrifying persecution was coming. 
But my guess is, as we study the tone of this message, that earlier on, the Apostle Paul had said things like, you're, you're really blessed. You're like kings here. You, that, that we're guessing that in the early church that they were blessed financially in Corinth. And so, so it probably was something that we don't even know completely. But here's the key. Can you stick with me on this? The key with this is that he recognized that they were aware that they were in distress that there was frustration, there was discouragement that was there. And, and so Paul is identifying that and then he's challenging them in the midst of this present challenge for them to remain as they are. We're going to see these words show up in the text that, that are going to encourage us to say, you don't need to, in the midst of a difficult situation, fight hard to fix it to fight hard to solve it, to, to be a person who's constantly trying to get yourself out of the struggle. In fact, the Lord Jesus challenges, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That he, in that context, talks about peace. And we're reminded of the fact that when it comes to the suffering that we experience in our life, that even in their context, while they were struggling through what may have been a challenging time in history, that, that there's always going to be challenges in the world that we um, have. And so the, the, the point that he's going to emphasize here is the search to fix it, the constant desire to find something more, the quest to seek to solve what is difficult for us ultimately has the potential of having some negative side effects. You know, I love, I love those commercials that you see on TV where they, um, you know, they have a weird name for a medicine and they're like, they talk about like wart removal and then the person talks extra fast at the end and they're like, side effects may be that your hand falls off and that you die, you know? And it's for a medicine that's for like removing warts. You know, like it doesn't seem like it's proportionate to the situation, right? And the side effects that we see that that can flow out of a person who's constantly trying to pursue something more, something different. Uh, there's three of them that I want to point out. One is discontentment, uh, that we desire to improve our circumstances to a point where it distracts us. This distraction is something that's real, that it can ultimately result in an anxiety, a fear of the circumstances of our life. And I think uh, if, we're, if we're transparent in our lives, that we'd accept that it ultimately leads many of us to disappointment. We are discouraged. We don't understand what God's doing. We cry out to him, what's going on? And so I, I think there's a, a kind of a plague of discontentment in our lives right now. Social media feeds this a little bit, right? Where we see on our screens the fun that other people are having. Um, it looks like they're healthier, or they're better off, their circumstances are better. And that, that, that can be uh, something that leads for us to have this fear of missing out in our experiences. And I think that that discontentment is something that can, can flow out of this as a side effect. Another is just being distracted. I think this is really what Paul is attacking here. Is that he's saying in the early church, you're, you're, you're divided. Your allegiances are misunderstood. You're confused. He says this in verse 27. Um, about this. He says, are you bound to a wife? Um, do not seek to be free. I, th this phrase seek is fascinating. This is um, when, when Jesus challenges us to seek first the kingdom of God. This is an active pursuit to try to find something that will change things. And so he says, uh, he says if you are bound to a wife, don't seek to be free. If you're free from a wife, don't seek a wife. And I 
I think that this, this seeking process is actually a very primary deception in our culture today. People are constantly trying to change their circumstances. And we've teased about this a couple weeks ago, that some married people uh, want to be single. Some people want to, single people want to be married, right? We understand that in the world that we live in. And in some ways, that quest to upgrade their spouse is something that becomes a distraction from what God's designed us to be as people who understand how to minister within the commitments and covenants that we've made within our, the marriage process. So he says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would desire to spare you from that. Again, he is not saying that it's wrong to be single or that it's wrong to be married. He's saying, I want you to keep the main thing, the main thing. The rest is just details. I mentioned that I think another side effect is this disappointment. It's, it's ignoring what we've been given. Um, I, I, I think we're all guilty of this. It's a little confession time. Have any of you ever walked into that room in your house where you store your clothes? Um, some of you, you know, you have like two rows of them and then uh, there's like a button you push and like more clothes comes or anybody want to confess to this, you know? And have any of you walked into that room and the first thought that goes through your mind is, I have nothing to wear. Like, uh, no, none of you have experienced this. Uh, stop elbowing your spouse. That's not very nice, right? That, that we, we see what we don't have, Right. That we're, we're people who've been blessed. You know that we're a part of the, one of the wealthiest nations that's ever been in the world. That we have the blessing, most of us, to have never wrestled with our daily bread, right? Lord, am I going to eat today? But, but we, so we, we've been blessed. And I, I can't imagine how God perceives us in our disappointment with his provision for us. Because he's provided for us abundantly and yet, what we often still find ourselves doing is that we're disappointed. Why? Because somebody else gets to fly in a private jet and I have to fly coach, right? Like that, that there's a reality of this, that we watch it from the outside. So disappointment is a part of the process of us ignoring what we've been given. And you and I have been given so much. And I, I just love this quote. It's, it's kind of weird, but it was a commentary um, by J.J. Lias, and it's an older commentary, but I just love the tone of this. Can I, just, can I just ask you, have you noticed in the midst of the challenges that we have around us that God's creation is gorgeous? It's beautiful. Have you noticed even in the transition of the seasons that God's constantly renewing his creation, that, that he's given us beauty around, for some of us, I think we've been so disappointed with what we've been given that we take this high definition, beautiful world that he's given us and we see it in fuzzy black and white right now because we're disappointed and discouraged. And I love the tone of this commentary on these passages of scripture when he says this, look around this beautiful world of God's ocean dimpled into mirrored smiles, the sky a trembling, quivering mass of blue, thrilling hearts with ecstasy, every tint, every form, replete with beauty. God says, be glad. Do not force young, happy hearts in an unnatural solemnity as if to be happy were a crime. Let us hear their loud, merry, ringing laugh, even if sterner hearts can be glad no longer. You know what he's saying there is, for some of us, we're so jaded in our experiences that we can't allow others to find joy in the midst of the life God's prepared for them. Even if sterner hearts can be glad no longer to, to see innocent mirth and joy does the heart good. 
But now observe, ever, everlasting considerations are to come in, not to sudden joy, but to calm it. We are to be calm, cheerful, self-possessed, to sit loose in all of these sources of enjoyment as masters of ourselves. When we prioritize the main thing, we understand beauty in its right place. But we're not constantly trying to satisfy ourselves with something more. Do you understand the difference? I think that the, the second point is, it flows out of this, that you and I can be distracted by what is temporary. Love that came out of an older season in communism. A leader would share that in some of the factories, they had a problem with people stealing and selling items in the black market. And I love one of the world leaders shared this story that, that there'd be a guy that came out of one of these factories every day and he'd carry a wheelbarrow and it had a bag that had, um, that, that it looked really suspicious and they were cracking down on this kind of theft. And so um, they would, would stop him. And um, the first time that he was stopped, they, they took a, a knife and opened up the bag and inside of it was just sawdust. It was just waste. Um, and then they, they sent him on. Well, he did this every day for weeks. And, and finally, um, they, like this, this went on. And then years later, a friend of him pulled him aside. And he's like, I, I figured that, that you were stealing something. What was going on? And he smiled and he said, I was stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> I love that story. So, so, so the, the distraction is something that missed out. Like, oh, we're confused, right? We missed it. Now, I want you to catch this in the text that Paul is going to challenge us that that we can be distracted by things that are temporary. It says this in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Uh, this, this word is incredible to study this in Greek. That, that it's, it's a word that means it's contracted. It, it was a sailor's term that, that described the, 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 the folding together of a sail. And I want to remind you, 2,000 years ago when Paul penned these words, he was recognizing something about his lifestyle, and that is he expected the imminent return of God at any time, okay? The imminent return of Christ at any time. And I want to challenge you that, that you and I ought to be people who expect the imminent return of Christ at any time. We ought to live like it. We ought to anticipate that the way we spend our days today matter to God that he deserves our best. And we don't wait till someday in order to serve him and be faithful. Remember, we studied the parable of the talents a couple weeks ago, right? And the anticipation of the return of the king is one where we live as if he's gonna come back every moment. I think Paul lived his life. Part of the way he, he owned his singleness is that he was a man who was like, I am all in because the Lord might return at any time. I love the image of a sail that's being rolled up that you and I now, 2,000 years later, we can say that, that we anticipate the imminent return of Christ. We sense the birth pains that are around us, and we don't want to miss it, right? Uh, we're not going to miss it, by the way, but we don't want to miss being prepared for what God wants to do, right? And so when he says this, this is what I mean, brothers, the important, the appointed time, that, that appointed time, by the way, if you have people who are around you say, I know that's going to be this date in history, that the Lord Jesus taught us that no one knows the day or the hour except for the Father. And so there is a mystery that's shrouded there. And he's saying, be ready, anticipate the return of the Lord. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. 
for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, I want us to make sure that we catch this. There's echoes in this passage of the Lord's um, Beatitudes when he taught the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth, right? When he challenged them that, that pales, what pales in comparison to our worldly struggles is the reality of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that there's something so much more for us. Now, does, does what we eat matter? Does our jobs matter? Does our marriages matter? Of course, in the context, he says, he's going to say it in a few verses. Marriage is good. He's going to say singleness is good. God can use you. Uh, but I want you to catch that in this statement, he's saying it pales in comparison to what God wants to do within us. And I'm guessing that these things that are in these verses have the tendency to be temptations for us to be distracted from our God-given mission. I love what verse 32 says, just soak this up. That the God that invented you, that loves you, designed you, and gave you what you need for life and godliness and through your knowledge of him who called us, wants us to be free from anxieties. Boy, there's an epidemic of anxiety in our world right now. Fear, what's gonna happen next? Where are we gonna go? How is this gonna work? What's gonna, can, can I be in this context? And I know there's different types of this, but I just wanna remind you that, that the God of the universe that says to us things like, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow can handle its, or ha tomorrow's gonna have its own worries. Or be careful about saying, we're gonna do this and that tomorrow because no one knows the, the day or the hour of that the Lord's gonna either take us home, which I believe when he says that the time is short, may be the case here that it might be that the Lord's going to return or it might also be that their lives are going to end at some point in the near future. And so when we recognize this, it's saying we, we don't want to assume that the way it is right now is the way it's always going to be. And so he's not arguing that, um, that marriage isn't valuable. He's not telling people to abandon their relationships. The context is very clear about that. What he's really saying is marriage isn't the main thing. Uh, that your singleness isn't the main thing. And by the way, when he talks about singleness, the kind of singleness that he's talking about isn't freedom in the sense of doing what you want. It's actually freedom to obey the Lord precisely with the energy and emotion of your life. So in this tempor temporary world, uh, we're reminded of the fact that, that there's distractions. And in that process, we recognize that in this world, we will have trouble. Let me give you the full verse that I quoted earlier, John 16, It says this, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. That sounds good, doesn't it? I want peace. I want to enter into the Hebrew word shalom in my life. I want to be able to handle the circumstances of life. And then to be honest, I feel that right now in my life. I feel like there's nothing that can get in the way of obedience in my life because of this next statement. In this world, I know that God has taught me that I will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. That's, the, that's where we find peace, brothers and sisters. That's where we find hope. That's what it means. In this temporary world, we will have trouble. There will always be distress this side of eternity. The job is not to try to figure out how to bring heaven down to earth. And, and I think that unfortunately, we can become obsessed with avoiding trouble. And I think that that fuels some of the anxiety that we have in our lives. He goes on to say this in verse 32. 
says, I want you to be free from the anxieties, from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And that's not all of them, I promise. But it's saying the healthy one is. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I think it's important for us to remember that marriage is not eternal. Uh, Some of you in the room say, yes, Uh, that that marriage is going to be different uh, in heaven, that that there's this promise that that our relationships are going to change, and Scripture teaches us this. And some of you are thankful for that because you have had the privilege of maybe having a spouse that you loved that has gone to be with the Lord, and now you have another spouse, and you're thinking, how will this work out? This is going to be awkward. But I want to remind you that God's word teaches us that relationships in heaven are going to be awesome, but they're going to be different than the way that they are now. And so marriage is going to function in a different way in in eternity in the presence of the Lord. And so, yes, marriage is not eternal. I also remind you that we don't mourn uh, the loss of others in the same way when he describes this, that the, the distractions don't defer, de- determine our eternity. Our stuff doesn't determine our eternity. It's interesting to go to museums where they have the Egyptian cultures that, that thought that if they buried themselves with their wealth, that there would be some carrying on to the next life. We just recognize that he who dies with the biggest toys does not win, right? Uh, we recognize that this desire inside of us can drive us. And so um, it's great news that God, um, the way it is, is not the way it's always going to be. That God keeps his promises even at times when it doesn't feel like it, even when we're in times of trouble. That God will return soon and fulfill his promises. And I just love the fact that there is an echo here of Lord Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes. And so when we think about this, the third point this morning that I think flows out of the text is contentment, Paul called it the secret of being content, is found by giving God our undivided attention. That that we focus in on him in such a way that we're not distracted by other things. I'll confess to you, as a youth pastor, we, um, one time in California, we had this great trip that we took. um, It was like a big evangelism thing that we did. We left from Southern California where we lived and went down to San Diego. And I think it was five 15 passenger vans that we had and a great group with us. And um, my friends don't let me live this one down. I think there's a picture online that shows this, um, this, this uh, embarrassing moment in my life. But I was in charge of the church credit card. And so we got to the gas station. I jumped out of my car, put in my, um, you know, the, the pump and started filling our 15 passenger van with like 80 gallons of gas and then went around. And every time I go around to the different pumps and I swipe the credit card, I think, oh, what's the limit that this card can handle, you know? And so then I go back around and then I jump back into our van and notice, you know, everybody's ready to go. And I pull out and I just hear the worst sound ever. And that's the sound of the gas uh, pump being still left inside your car and it being detached um, from the side of the gas station. All right. Now, thankfully, uh, I'm not the only one who's done this before, so they're kind of breakable. Um, but as I'm walking in with this this gas pump, the walk of shame, you know, I walk in with this thing um, and and I see a sign that says like $5,000 fine for driving off with the pump on it. But I guess I'm glad that I caught it, right? And, and I handed it out. It all turned out fine. But I want you to catch this, that there are distractions for us today that are really common. 
that there are things that, that make us move our focus away from what matters. And in that process, there are real consequences for that in our lives. Paul says this in verse 35. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. This is really important. That there are some people who are teaching that really religious people, they avoided this marriage thing altogether. He's not saying that he wants to get rid of God's design for marriage. And let me remind you, scripture gives us multiple cases of God's design and, and gift of marriage and even the blessings of marriage. He says this, I say this not for your own benefit, not to lay a burden on you or to restrain you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided attention to the Lord. I think that married people, uh, Allie and I have a wonderful marriage. I thank the Lord for 21 years of, of marriage to her. I'm so grateful for it. But, but what I recognize is my allegiance to the Lord is primary and that my relationship with Allie, as I grow together, as we grow together towards the Lord, our relationship together grows. But, but it's, it's important for me to understand that every relationship, my friends, my kids, my, my um, like every relationship, the, the pastoral relationship that I have with you, as valuable as it is, it's secondary to my understanding of what it means for us to be undivided in our devotion to the Lord. It says this in verse 36, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if, he is per if his passions are strong, uh, um, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. And, and I love that he says that. It's not a sin. It's, it's okay to get married. It's a gift from God. Verse 37. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep his or her betrothed, he will do well. In other words, Paul firmly affirms singleness. He affirms marriage. It's important for us to not misunderstand this text today. He's, he, in its larger context, is defending both. He says, so then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Paul is arguing for us to, not under, to, to make sure that we don't allow anything to get in the way of our obedience to the Lord. And I, and I think there's a benefit for us if we get this right. Nothing can replace what God can give us. There's great freedom that the Lord gives us to, for those who keep the Lord at the center of their lives. Verse 39 goes on to say, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. This is a pretty radical statement when this was written. That, that God's establishing freedom for a person to make choices about their marriage, especially a woman in that culture. So only in the Lord, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. So, so here what we see is Paul emphasizing that really marriage as one of the primary things that people pursue to solve and to, 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 to eagerly seek, as he described that to us, seek. Remember what he said about seeking. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's the focus that he's challenging us to do. The rest of the stuff, it's just details. So here, what he's encouraging us is that we need to keep the eye on the ball. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. We need to be fully content in him. And if we do that in our lives, it's going to help us to understand those other temptations that can ultimately lead to us be, being distracted. So church family, I want to encourage you this morning that regardless of if you're married or if you're single, regardless of how you work, your job, your employment, your 
Where where you're at in life, regardless, I want to remind you of the Lord's encouragement to each one of us that he's told us these things so that we might have peace. In Paul's language, this secret of contentment. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and I, I thank you for each and every person that's here that We believe that there are plenty of distractions in the world around us, plenty of things that have the potential of of taking energy away from us. I confess that I have spent time in my life that's been useless trying to solve problems that really didn't even exist in my life. I thank you, Lord, that your, your shoulders are broad enough to handle the deepest pains and circumstances of our life, that you know the desires of our hearts And I thank you that you've challenged us to sharpen the focus of our lives, to see you as the most important thing, and to see other good things even, to pale in comparison to your goodness. We love you. We thank you for your provision for us and your knowledge of us that's perfect. I pray that your word would not return void in our lives. And I pray for any individual that's here as we talk about the work of the cross, as we talk about the provision of the gospel that allows us to not just be exposed to hope, but as those in Corinth declared it, that you are their living hope. I pray for each and every person here, even those who are yet to become believers, to understand that you want to be the most important thing about them. We love you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.